There are voices that are vying for your attention. What voices are you giving your ear to? Who are you listening to? Oh, I don't listen to anybody. Yes, you do. We all listen to somebody. Whether it's the voices of culture, the voices of a teacher, the voices of a school, the voices, we're all listening. And the voice of God is always there to speak to you and to me, to take us through, to bring us home, to land us safely. The other voices want to distract you. The other voices want to pull you away from the only hope. Whose voice will you listen to? Because ultimately, it comes down to being a choice. And we choose. We choose. What voice are you listening to? What voice will you listen to today? Will you hear what the Spirit of the Lord is trying to say to you today? Look, you know what? God doesn't want to speak to you necessarily through my message today. God wants to speak to you. Sometimes God wants to speak to you in spite of my message today. (laughs) What voice will you listen to? I want you to open your Bibles and open them up to Luke chapter 7. I want to share with you what, what God has laid on my heart for today. And, and I don't know who the, needs to hear this. I don't know, you know who needs to respond to this. But I do know that there are those of you here today that God, every one of you, God has brought for a purpose. And there are some of you that you're here. Some of you are here because you know what? You needed to feel and experience the presence of God in praise and worship. You needed to know what it was to have God inhabit the praises of his people. You know, one of the things that's cool about praise and worship is that no matter where you are, no matter where you stand, that praise is around me. It's like in front of me. And so if I'm standing this way, I'm praising God and he's inhabiting the praises. But you know what? If I turn around, it's the same praise. God is all about us because he's all about us. He loves you. And he wants to speak into your life today. And I pray that you'll open up your heart to hear what he has to say. I want to read through this scripture. And and again, I'm going to try really hard to just stay on track here so that we can uh, have some time of fellowship. But I'm not going to skip through this because we have something going on this afternoon. Let Let me tell you, what God wants to say to you is way more important than anything else we have to do today. So listen, he's already spoke to some of you in some ways, but he's not finished. Listen to what he's saying. Whether you're young, whether you're old, God has something for you to say. Listen to what he has. Listen to the voice. In Luke chapter 7, in, uh, in verses uh, 1 through 10, I'm just going to read through this. Jesus, talking about Jesus, after he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, so he was preaching and teaching, he entered into Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at a point of death. 
who was highly valued by the him, talking about the centurion. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. Verse four, and when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Verse 7, therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned to the crowd that followed him, and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have used my voice to declare your word, your voice to the people that are here today. And I pray, Lord, from the front to the back, from one side to the other, that every ear would be opened and attuned, that every heart would be receptive, that we would receive what you have for us today. Lord, let us not be found in pride, uh, in, in, in pride or ignorance. Let us not be found, Lord God, it, it with a haughty spirit, but Lord, let us be open to what you have to say. Lord, I'm here to hear, so speak into my life, speak to my heart. Let me not leave this place the same. In Jesus' name, amen? amen. So last week, I, I, I started this message, and we talked about the people that are involved in the story, or at least the you know, three main characters that are here. We talked about the servant, the suffering servant, this man that was uh, dying, and how God came to him, and, and Jesus healed him. We talked last week about the centurion, how the centurion, there were some things about the centurion that were very special, and I want to talk about that a little bit more today, but the centurion was a pretty amazing guy. And then there was also in the story the religious people, the religious people that tried to go to Jesus, God, and tell God that he owed the servant, or owed the centurion, so he needed to heal the servant. The religious people trying to tell God what to do because they'd done some good things and God owed them. And so in this whole story, again, there's so much that we could dive into, but one of the things that I really want to focus on today is the centurion, because I do believe that there are a lot of people that are here today that can really relate to the story of this centurion. You guys ready to hear this? I mean, you hear what God wants to speak to your heart? I want to focus on the centurion because the centurion was a good man. He was a centurion, but he was a good man. In fact, I go as far as to say, reading the story, and the more I dive into it, that he was a pretty amazing guy. He was a pretty cool, I mean, even by all accounts, he wasn't a believer. He wasn't somebody, he was a centurion. He was a Roman. He, at the beginning of the story, he was not a believer. Not a believer in Jesus, but by the end of the story, there was this thing he experienced. It's what we call conversion what we call today being born again. He comes to faith in Jesus. And somewhere in this whole process, 
And most of the commentators, most of, the, of your Bible commentaries will tell you the same thing, that this man, by the end of the story, comes to faith in Jesus Christ. In this process, and that again is what is, would be conversion. He goes from unbelief to belief. He goes from being one who's just simply knows of God to somebody that God actually knows. And church, there's a big difference in that. A lot of people know or believe God or believe there's a God or believe in Jesus, but there's not everybody that can say Jesus knows me. And this man, Jesus came to know him. But this man, this non-Christian, he, I just love this because he demonstrates in this whole story some pretty amazing you know, uh, bits of character and integrity. This man shows up and there's a lot of things that we can just uh, learn from this guy. As you look through this whole story, you can find that not only is this guy a good guy, he's actually a pretty moral man. Pretty good character. Even though, please, he was not living to the glory of God, he was not somebody that was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was not somebody that would, uh, apart from Jesus moving into his life, he is not somebody who would know what eternal life is, he's not somebody that would ever experience that. But let me tell you, he is, church, a good man. He's a good guy. And some of you need to hear that. Some of you need to know. You know, as Christians, sometimes we get this wrong mindset. We can get it into our mind that, you know, no, no, no the good people are the Christians and the bad people are the non-Christians. And we get it in our mind that, you know what, that, that's the way that it is. And we'll say, well, you know what, I mean, hey, you know, the Christians are the good people and the bad people are the, the non-Christians are the bad people. I mean, we can get this holier-than-thou attitude oftentimes, and that's what is portrayed to people that are around us. And we get that attitude. And when we do, a non-Christian steps up and goes, really? Well, I know a lot of Christians who are a whole lot worse than non-Christians. Come on. And when people say that, if you notice, people will say that, and, and, and there's like nothing you can do but go, uh, I, I see it as, you know what, tap out. <laughs> tap out because there's nothing else you can really say. Because you know what? They're right. Look, I know a lot of Christians that are just downright mean. You can argue whether they're Christians or not. But people who profess their faith in Jesus Christ, yeah, you know what? They're just not very nice. And you know what? There are some non-Christians that are really, really nice. I was thinking about this. We just went on this long road trip to Texas. And we drove. And, you know, I was really thankful to be in the car with, you know, Joni and, and with Carly. Because, you know, it's really nice when you're on a road trip being in a car with people that you like. Well, I thought about this as I was putting this together, and you know, I don't know that I would want to, if I was going to take that road trip, and I had to pick people to go on that road trip with me, depending on who was available, I don't know that I would necessarily pick all Christians, because there are some Christians that I really don't want in the car with me. I mean, maybe in the trunk. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. But there are some non-Christians that I really wouldn't mind spending time with because there are some non-Christians that are really nice people. They're generous people. They're kind people. They're giving people. They're actually gracious and generous. 
Some, some non-Christians are a whole lot more easygoing than Christians. I tell you what, man, I, you know, I, even though I'm, I'm working on them, but I really like my non-Christian neighbors. They're really, really good, nice people. Church, it is not that Christians are good people and non-Christians are bad people. It's that everyone is a sinner. Everyone has sinned and everyone has fallen short. We are all sinners in our own hearts and in our own lives. And some people are living out of the, the, the kind of conscience that God has given them. And some people are living that way. And some people are spending their whole life fighting the conscience that God has given to them. Well, you can see in this guy, this, this, this centurion, this non-Christian, this moral man, this good character, he's living out of the conscience that God has given him as an image bearer of God to live a certain kind of life. And he's living that kind of a life. But church, that does not make him a worshiper of God. That does not make him somebody that's born again. That does not make him somebody that will experience eternal life. You know what it does make him? It makes him a really good neighbor. It makes him a really good citizen. And it makes him a really good man. And I know that some of you can relate to that. It's like, you know... I don't, I don't feel like my life is that upside down. I don't feel like my life is in ruin. In fact, I feel like I got a pretty good life. I mean, things are good. I'm not really suffering. Yeah, I got a couple of issues over here. Like this guy, you know, the, I'm sure the centurion, you know, life's pretty good. I mean, the servant thing, that, that's a, an issue, but we're going to, you know, deal with that. But other than that, my life is still pretty good. And I know there's those of you here that feel like, you know what, my life's pretty good. I mean, they don't really have this big deal going on. My, there's not a lot of suffering in my life right now. There's, there, I'm not overly religious. And in my life, you know, I feel like I'm a pretty decent, moral, easygoing person. So why do I need to give my life to Jesus? I mean, really, the only time, think about it, the only time I ever really hear of people giving their life to Jesus is when something tragic has happened to them. When somebody, I mean, a, a boulder has fallen on their life and they're trapped underneath it and they call out for help. Whether it's, you know, in some kind of an addiction or some kind of bondage or a, a broken relationship or some kind of sickness or illness, some kind of suffering or poverty. And that's the moment they, they cry out to Jesus. But I don't have that. And I don't consider myself to be in that kind of a painful place. I don't consider myself to be in this position of just desperate great need. Honestly, a couple of little issues, but on the most part, life's pretty good. There's no crisis. Why do I need this? Well, church, this is the centurion. This is the, the centurion. And, and this centurion, and I want you to hear, this centurion was a good man. Please keep that in mind. There's a few other things to tell through the scriptures about this guy. This centurion, we also know this centurion is a loving guy. So he's a good guy, he's a loving guy. He says this in, uh, to the religious leaders. He says, uh, they say this of him, for he loves our nation. I read the scripture and I thought, well, that is about as loving as you can get. Because nobody loves the religious people. 
I mean, who loves the religious one? I mean, this guy, he does. He loves them. He also loves his servant. And it wasn't really proper etiquette for a master to love their servant because servants, they, they, they had no legal rights. Servants really had no rights at all. They, they couldn't sue somebody. They couldn't take you to court. They couldn't testify in court. Basically, a servant was treated like an animal or a piece of property. But this centurion, he really loves his servant. He was a good man. He was a loving man. And he goes above and beyond the call of duty to get Jesus to come and to save the life of his servant. I would call that a loving man. I also see this guy, he's a generous man. It says that the Bible, in the Bible here, that he funded the building of the synagogue. He built their church for them. That would be like somebody coming in here and saying, you know what, we're going to build your church. And they fund it, and they hire the people, and they build a brand new big church for us. Praise God. If you know those kinds of unbelievers, please. Verse 5, it says, he's the one who built us our synagogue. This guy was generous. You know, I was looking this up, and there are still today architectural uh, uh, finds that they're coming up with, archaeological finds, excuse me, where they've dug up parts, and they're still standing as parts of the synagogue that this guy built in Capernaum. It's still there. It's real. This guy, it's there. This building that he built, this church, the synagogue that he built is still there. This generous man, he built this, this unbeliever built this. And Jesus, in, in, in Luke chapter 4, when we were studying that, Jesus actually preached in the synagogue that this centurion built. And Jesus, in the synagogue that this centurion built, Jesus cast out demons. I, I see this as a, a really generous guy. I, this guy is a very considerate man. The centurion is considerate. When it comes to Jesus, he could have walked into that whole situation knowing that in that time and in that area, he was the authority in that area and he could have pushed in. But this guy was really considerate and respectful of Jesus. And so he goes to the elders, those that were of the religious faith, and they send them to Jesus and say, will you guys please go get Jesus and see if he might come back here. One, he was understanding of authority. And two, he was considerate. What he did not want to do was disrespect Jesus. Oh my goodness. I wish that even in the church today, we had the kind of heart that did not want to disrespect Jesus like this non-saved non-Christian, non-follower centurion. The centurion was also a very humble man. In the place of authority, as, a, as Jesus approached his house, he sends his friends out and he says this in verse six, Lord, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy. Listen, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Now, I thought about that. I, you know what? If Jesus, if I heard Jesus was in the flesh coming to my house, I don't know that I'd send anybody else out there to stop him. Be like, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. I mean, get something together, Joni. Get something, no, get something good to eat together. We've got to get the best out because Jesus is coming. And he's going to come and he's going to heal the servant. And he's going to do what he can do. And I'm going to get some selfies. And I'm going to put some pictures of me and Jesus on Facebook. And everybody's going to be my friend. 
This guy, he's so humble when he finds out that Jesus, Jesus is coming to his house. He says, you know what? I, I, I don't need to waste Jesus' time. He is an important man. Yes, I'm an important man. Yes, I'm a man of authority. Yes, I am a man that is strong. Yes, I'm a man who leads people. Yes, I'm a man that has power and authority. But I am not worthy to even be a friend with this guy. Man, church, what a tremendous amount of humility. And, and with all of that being true, you can also tell them that the centurion was an effective man. He got stuff done. Not only did he lead as a centurion, but this guy, his servant was ill. And so what does this unbeliever do? He figures out a way to get Jesus to come to his house to heal his servant. He was effective in the things that he did. He was uh, who he was. This guy was honorable. Listen to what he says here in verse 8. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go. And he goes. And to another, come. And he comes. And to my servants, do this. And he does that. And he's saying, Jesus, listen, I understand what it is to be under authority. And to be under authority, I have to be there so that I can be in authority. Because I can't be in authority unless I am under authority. And both Jesus and the servant, or, or the centurion, understood that. They knew what this meant. Most of us don't get that. We read that scripture and we go, what? What does that have to do with anything? And we don't understand it because we don't understand authority the way that they did. Most men, most women, most people want to be the ones in authority. No, I want to be the one that's telling people what to do. I want to be the one that's telling, I don't like it when my boss starts to micromanage me and tell me what to do. I don't like when this happens and they start telling me. I don't want to be the one that receives correction. I want to be the one that gives correction. I don't want to have to do it somebody else's way. I want to do it all my way. We all want to be in authority, but we don't want to be under authority. And what these two understood is that if you want to be in authority, then you must come under authority. Amen. And this guy understood the chain of command and he understood that Jesus in the chain of command was above him. And he honors the leadership. He honors the authority of Jesus. He's like, I am a military leader and most people in this area, they do what I tell them to do. I tell my guys to come and they come and I tell them to do something and they do it. I tell them to follow me into war and they follow me into battle. I tell them to do those things. But Jesus, you're a different kind of leader. You're a leader that all you have to do is just speak the word and to call out for healing and healing will come. Jesus, I'm not worthy. And again, you see all of this coming from the life of the centurion, this one single centurion man, all of these things about him, church. And I wanted to go through all of those things because I wanted to make this point here. All of that is true. Yet the centurion still needs Jesus. He still needs Jesus. I don't care how good he was. I don't care how moral he was. I don't care what a good citizen he was. I don't care what kind of character he had. This man still needed to be born again. He still needed to be converted. He still needed to place his faith in Jesus Christ. And some of you, you, you would come here today and you know, well, I, I, I can understand that guy. 
Again, I, I talked about this last week. There are people that are reflected in these three, the, the, the servant, the religious people, and the centurion. There are those that are reflective in all of those different people. But in the, those who are reflecting, or the centurion, it's like, you know what, I understand. And as I was praying about this, I, I realized that I can understand and agree a whole lot more than what I thought. I can relate to that. I did not... I did not become a Christian until I was 27 years old. For the first 27 years of my life, I was raised in a, in a somewhat religious, religious home, but didn't know Jesus. It was just all about religion, and it was not about a relationship of any kind. And so I was raised in this place where I knew of God, but I did not know God. And so I was 27 years old when I finally gave my heart to Jesus Christ. But I will tell you what, up to that point, I thought I was a pretty good guy. I thought I had some morals. I mean, I really did. I thought that I was a pretty decent guy. Now again, I'll share with you, I wasn't, but I thought I was. Because I saw myself for how I assumed myself to be. I saw myself by using a plumb line that was not something that I should have used as a plumb line. I mean, in my life, I thought my ethics were this. I believed in God. I mean, in fact, I had made this commitment that I would not get married until I met a woman who loved God. I, as a heathen, I was like, I'm holding out for somebody who shouldn't marry me. <laughs> but my ethic was I believed in God. I, I, I was a good person. I, I thought I was. And I like to do nice things for people. I had a truck and I helped people move. How much better a guy can you get? I know. I got rid of my truck for that reason. But I tried to live out of that. I mean, that was really, I mean, I wanted to be a good person. I wanted to, yeah, I believe in God and I wanted to do nice things for people, but I was not a Christian. I was not filled with the Holy Spirit. I did not love Jesus. I did not love the God of the Bible. I did not study the Word of God. I did not spend time in prayer. I did not go to church. I did not even know where a church I could go to would have been. I did not connect with God. I did not connect with God's people. I didn't have anything to do with any of that. But I was a fairly moral person. I was a good guy. I thought. I worked hard. I held a job. I paid my bills. I mean, I, I did. I, I kept everything up to date. I was good with all of those things. And to be honest, there was some hiccups in my life at the moments when I came to Jesus. There were some things going on that I, I won't go into. But for the most part in my life, my life was pretty good. At least I thought it was. I thought for the most part things were good and everything considered at that stage in life. You know, I, hey, I, I wasn't, hey, I was 27. I wasn't living at home on my, you know, with my parents at that point. So I thought that's pretty good. So why did I come to Jesus? 
what was it that made me want to come to Christ? And church, this is the reason why. Because I, for the first time in my life, I saw the true reflection of Jesus in the eyes of some people who were truly born again. And I knew when I saw the truth in their eyes, I knew I did not have that. And I knew that I wanted that. There was something in me that just said, you know what, I need that. I did not come to Christ because of a crisis. I came to Christ because I knew, I knew that I knew that I knew in that moment that he was true. That he was who he said he was. Well, at the time, I would have told you, you know what? I, hey, I'm not perfect, but I'm not a big, nasty old sinner. I'm not one of those guys. Come on, I'm not one of them. But I look back on my life now, though, and obviously I've had some years to reflect. And as I look back now, I've come to a completely different conclusion. <laughs> I was way more sinful than I ever thought I was. I was way more decadent. I was way more uh, just bound up than I ever dreamed that I was. I thought I was a pretty good guy. And, and again, I, I thought I was because had you compared me to other people? If you just compared me to the people that I hung out with, if you compared me to the people that I worked with, if you man, if you compared me to the other guys at the bar, man, I am a good guy. I am not like one of them. In fact, I, I can sit here, we can have drinks and now decide how moral we are. <laughs> we can be pridefully fight over who the most moral is. And I win. But when you start comparing my life to Jesus, you find out how far away from God I was and how deep my sin was and how much pain and agony that sin was bringing into my life. You know, some of you are here today and you have been comparing yourself with others. You've been finding people that were in worse places than you and trying to find moral justification with that. And you can relate with the centurion here where he says, hey, you know, I, I, I feel kind of like this guy. I'm generous. I'm pretty successful. I'm financially stable. I love the people I work with. I want to be a good example to people. Things aren't that bad. Things aren't that, you know, out of control. In fact, I've got pretty much everything, you know, in, in its place and everything's good. But when you start to compare your life to Jesus, you will find how much sin and how far from God you are. See, the truth is, is that some people come to Jesus in a crisis 
And, and again, praise God for that. I am not talking down about that. Some of you are in crisis right now and Jesus is reaching out to you. He wants to pull you out from under that boulder. He wants to help you and he wants to minister in your body, your soul, your spirit. You're here and you have an urgent need for a savior. I praise God for those that he brings in in those situations. But listen, that isn't everybody. Not everybody is here in crisis. There are some of you that don't have that crisis and you, you know what? You need to come to know Jesus Christ. You still need to come there to receive him and to come to him to recognize that Jesus is indeed God, that he is God and place your faith in him. That was the centurion and that is some of you that are here today. And when that happens, do you know what, it, what Jesus calls it? He calls it amazing faith. Amazing faith. This centurion, he's at a turning point in his life and we're told that Jesus... Jesus was amazed at this man's faith. He was amazed. He, he marveled at it. In verse 9 it says, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. The Greek word there is thamazo, which means he was greatly amazed or he marveled. You could use any of those. He was amazed and turning to the crowd that followed him, he said this. He said, I tell you, not even in Israel, not even amongst the people of God, have I found such faith. I just happened to be looking that word up, thamazo, and there's twice in the New Testament that that Greek word thamazo is used to describe how Jesus was feeling about a circumstance. It's used in other places about how people felt towards Jesus, but only twice in Scripture is that word used to describe how Jesus was feeling towards something. And one is right here. Jesus was thamazo, greatly amazed, marveled at the greatness of this man's faith. And the second time it's used is in Mark chapter 6, where Jesus was rejected in the hometown of Nazareth. And Jesus, the Bible says, was thamazo. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Church, if Jesus is going to be amazed in something in your life, what would it be? What would create Thamazo? See, Jesus was amazed at this man. He was shocked. He was stunned. This man, this non-believer, had this kind of faith. He looks at the guy's faith and he's like, this is amazing. And it's because this man understands that Jesus is God and that Jesus is in the chain of command. He's the top rung and that he needed to put his trust in him. And he understood that and then he does it. Church, that's what needs to happen. For those of you today, and you're here today, and you are a good person, you're a moral person, you've got life all together, you need to come to Jesus. You need to give Jesus your heart. You need to put him in priority in your life. You need Jesus, because without him, this is, what I'm, this is how good people go to hell. Amen. You need Jesus. Not that we want you to live immorally so that you can come to him. No, we want you to just begin to live the new life that God has created out of the relationship that he desires to have with you. That you could not just have a good life, but that you could have a new life, an eternal life, a life and life more abundant that God has for you. Amen. If you're a good person, a moral person, but you don't know Jesus, today's your day to come to know him. Maybe today you're one of those religious people. 
that you're here and you feel like, you know what, there's this own sense of worth because we have this thing we've done or the things we've done. I've given, I've done this, I've done that. I'm, and we, we, we're standing on our religion. Listen, you need to come to Jesus today. This is the time, this is the hour. Come to Jesus. If you're suffering, if you're hurting, if you can relate to the servant today, come to Jesus. Jesus is not a answer. Jesus is the answer. He is the only way. And today I want to make a call to you. Because inside of every one of you, just like we heard in the video, there is a voice that, and voices that are speaking to every single one of us. God made you to hear, to listen, to respond to his voice. And he desires that. <laughs> You're good. I, there's a, there are voices. There are voices that want to distract. <laughs> Just like that, God made each and every one of you with the spirit of fight in you. He gave every single one of you the spirit of a warrior, the spirit of battle. He's called every single one of you as centurions, and he's given you that. And every one of us have a fight in us. You know that. You know that about yourself. There are things that you're fighting for, things you're fighting with, people that you're fighting for, people that you're fighting with. Every single one of us, there's a cause, because God made us, every single one of us, to want to live for something that we're worth that's worth dying for, to fight for something that we're willing to live for. Every single one of us have a fight in us, everyone. And God is calling warriors. God is calling those battlers, those centurions to rise up and to come to Jesus. We want the centurions. We want those to, to come, to know, to love, and to serve Jesus. We want those to rise up in the spirit of battle and to come and to fight the good fight that God has called us to. We long for those centurions, for the men, for the women, those who are standing in that spirit of battle to rise up and say you know what it's time for me to give my heart to Jesus so I can begin to fight for that which Jesus created me to fight for I'm sick and tired of fighting for losing battles and fighting against things that I should be for and for things that I should be against God longs to save us because that is what our God does our God is a warrior he is a warrior that came in the first place to do battle and he came to do war against Satan he came to do war against sin he came to do war against against the enemy, against death, and he arose victorious out of all of that. Our God, he's coming again, church. And when he comes again, he's coming as a warrior riding on a white horse and a sword is coming out of his mouth for which he will use to slay the nations. And he's coming to set the captives free. He's coming to set men and women free. He's coming to let those who are in bondage be set free. He's coming to open the cage doors. He's coming to let go of the bonds and chains that hold us back. Our God is coming as a warrior and church his warriors are coming with him so the question is where are the warriors where are those who will battle where are those who will stand where are those who will fight where are those who will say enough he is my authority and I am no longer the one in charge but I submit myself to him look our faith that's not a faith of violence I'm not that's not what I'm saying at all. Our faith today is a faith of forgiveness and a faith of grace. But church, a time is coming. 
A time is coming, and I believe that that time is coming sooner than we think, when Jesus Christ will come, and he will put down all of the bullies, and he will put down all of the evildoers, and he will put down all of the tyrants and all of the dictators, and he will put down all of those who are oppressing his people. He will put down those who are standing against the church of God, and he will set the captives free. He will align them on his side to be warriors in his kingdom, and he will come to wipe away every tear. Church, that is who Jesus is. And that's the Jesus that the centurions in this place need to come to. Worship team, would you come back up? Look, where are you today? Are you in a place where you're suffering? I want you to know that God wants to bring healing to your life so that you can rise up and fight the fight that God created you to fight. Are you in a place where the religious people are? I want you to know God wants to set you free from that religious bondage. God wants to set you free from those chains of religion and religiosity so that you can come into a relationship with him. One of the things religion doesn't understand is that it's all about grace. It's not about works. It's not about merit. It's not about what you can earn. Listen, it's about what God does, not what you do. And church... God's calling the centurions. Those of you that, hey, maybe you're living a moral life. Maybe you're living a decent, good, upstanding, generous, loving. You're a good citizen. That will not earn you the status of forgiven. That will not, church, bring salvation to your life. This is how good people go to hell. They think that their life is good enough. When the only thing that can save you is not your life, but Jesus' life. And that's what we accept. We say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. Wherever you are today, the good, the bad, the ugly, you must put your faith in Christ. You must at some time or another, if you're going to see eternal life, you must Put your trust in Jesus and acknowledge him as the preeminent authority in your life. And right now, those that are suffering, those that are bound in religion, those centurions, God is calling for the church of God to arise in this time and in this hour to stand and to do what he's called us to stand and do. And I will go back to this question. Where are the warriors? Where are those who are willing to lay down their pride and to say, you know what? I need Jesus. I need him more today than ever before. I don't care what you've done or been through before. This is the day. This is the hour. This is the time that God is calling his people to rise up. This is the voice that he brought me here to declare to you. And you're here today because God wants you to hear his voice through this message. And I pray that every word that's not of him would fall to the ground. But every word that is of him, I pray that it would prick your heart and begin to move in your mind and begin to open up your way that you might say God I need you I need you 
And if that's you today, I'm going to ask you to boldly respond. I'm going to ask you to step out of the, uh, the, the frying pan and into the fire. I'm going to ask you to step out and say, God, count me. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Touch my lips with the coal of the altar. I'm now ready to take on whatever it is, Lord, that battle will bring. Whatever kind of suffering, whatever kind of trouble, whatever kind of trial. Lord God, here I am. I'm your man. I am your woman. Where are the centurions? Listen, let's sing this song. And if that's you today, I'm going to ask you to step up. I'm going to ask you to fill up this altar. I'm going to ask you to just make a stand and to make a stand for God. Not in a shy, bashful way, but right now, just step out of your seat and come on up here and let's just pray together. Let's stand together. Let's worship together. Come on, let's sing it out as we worship Him. Turn your heart towards Him. Turn your heart towards Him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Move in, move up here, guys. Come on, let's make room. Come on up, guys, make room. Yep, come on up, you guys, move up here. Come on up, guys, move on up. again and 
I want you to look around you. And I want you, as God lays it on your heart, to pray for somebody, to stand in the gap for somebody, to do what the Bible tells us to do as a church, and to pray one for another. So do that. Look for those around you that God would lead you to. Let's let the Holy Spirit lead us in this time as we worship Him, as we praise Him, as we give Him grace and glory and honor. Let God lead you right now. Come on, let's sing through this again. Oh, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, yes. Struck wonder at the mention of your name. Filled with wonder, today, Lord. Oh, we thank you for the day you'll give us at the park, the fellowship. I pray that you'll continue to speak, continue to do, continue to have your way. Because we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. 
thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Come on, amen. Now listen. Now it means even more. Go be the church. Come on, amen. Oh, let's sing this. God in heaven, the praises of his people. Let's praise him today. Your face, I...